You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. So today we're launching a new series called Psalms, Truths for Life. I did a series this uh, on this two years ago over the summer. We covered six psalms, and so we're going to be covering another six psalms this year and beginning today all through the month of July, and I'm going to be tapping some of our pastoral team members. And so we uh, searched high and low, and we made a great <laughs> invitation, and we were able to secure Dr. <laughs> Danielle Bean. And so today... Today is her first opportunity to preach in here. So would you give her a great bridge welcome today? Would you do that? Come on. So when Pastor Greg asked me to open the series on Psalms, I was really excited, right? My first time in people that are over, you know, this big. Uh, minus, I have taught youth before. Um, but I was also a little bit concerned, concerned because, you know, this carpet, we're supposed to stay on this carpet. And I'm pretty demonstrative, uh, pretty interactive. I like to get in the middle of my people and question and answer time. So staying here is going to be a little bit like a cage. When I teach, I also like to bring props, as you can imagine. So today, I brought my shepherds, my rod, right? And in Bible times, the rod was often used as a form of protection, right? The shepherd kept it, it was a little bit smaller, kind of like a club, he kept it in the belt, and if a, a lion or something came to attack the sheep, right, he could bah, attack, you know, get it, and fend off that, that, uh, that attacker. Well, also, he had a shepherd's rod, the staff. So the staff was more for comfort right, and protection. So when those sheep would wander off the trails like some of us do, the shepherd could just gently take the crook of that staff and, and bring the sheep back to him. Or if they fell down a ravine, the shepherd could come down and pick that sheep up and put him over his neck. I thought it was kind of cool if I issued them to all our safety team, right? So I give Curtis this shepherd's crook, right? And one of you guys during the meet and greet, because you know you all hate the meet and greet. So I was using my daughter, Michaela. She hates the meet and greet. She goes right to the bathroom. So Michaela stands up to go to the bathroom, and Curtis reaches over and pshht, brings her right back into her seat, right? The possibilities for these are endless. Melise, uh, Michaela is listening online, so that plug was for her. The possibilities we have are endless, but I'd like to get back into our story. We're going to get into the book of Psalms, and to understand Psalms, right, we want to understand the heart of the Father. We're going to have to talk about shepherd. We're going to have to talk about sheep. But first, I would like to know if we could pray, if we could bow our heads, pray, and ask the Holy Spirit to be in the midst of us. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the opportunity to be here. Father, we invite your presence to be here. We ask that any words, Lord, that I speak that are not from you would fall to the ground. Lord, we ask that your message would go forth. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. If you could stand with me, I got to find my clicker because I found out I'm in charge of this. If you could stand with me for the reading of the word. The main psalm we're going to focus on is Psalm 23, but we're going to go around about journey before we land that plane on the 23rd Psalm. But let's read it together, please. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Nothing. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, a lot of us, we go through different seasons in life, right? Oh, you can have a seat. Sorry. (laughs) Y'all standing. (laughs) Right? We go through different seasons. We're living the American dream. What does Psalm 23 have to do with the American dream? Right? Some of us, young students, we're at a different part of living our American dream. We're just coming upon the season of finding out who we are, why we're here, what's, what's the job we're going to have, what's our profession. And there's some of us that are in the middle of it, right? They're in the middle of our careers, right? We see the end is out there, but we're not quite there. And then there's some of us that are nearing towards the end, where, you know, we're in the retirement years, maybe we're grandparents, Maybe we're traveling, we're setting our sights on different places that we want to travel. Well, see, this week, I found out I'm in a different season. I didn't know it. I had to, you know, one of my children had to let me know I was in that season. So Friday night, I came over here to work on my sermon, and I drove home, and there's my husband and my 22-year-old son and my teenage daughter. They're sitting on the front porch. So I get out of the car, and I go up to the front porch, right, and start the conversation. And my husband says wow, hon, you really are working a lot on that sermon. And I threw some answer about, you know, it's just I hate to be caught off guard. I hate not knowing. You know, I just want to kind of work through all the bugs. My daughter, my 15-year-old, leans over and she said, now have you planned what you're going to (laughs) wear? I mean, maybe you men especially can relate to this. I do not plan what I'm going to wear 36 hours in advance. Right? Maybe an hour before I think about what I'm going to wear. So I said, well, I'm just going to wear jeans or like my black overalls or something. And she said, well, don't worry, I planned it. You're going to wear your black overalls with the buttons, your shiny shoes, your black shirt with the see-through sleeves. So I stand before you today giving my sermon, my first sermon in big church, and my daughter dressed me. Who does? <laughs> so we'll find ourselves in different seasons. I'm in a new season. I need to be dressed, right? <laughs> a lot of times those seasons can be incredibly exciting, but they can also be spiritually draining. They can be emotionally draining. They can be exhausting, right? We feel empty and we start relying on our own strengths and weaknesses. We don't have any time or energy for the things of God. John 10.10 10 tells us, Uh, Jesus is quoted as saying, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So how in the midst of all those things pulling at us, right, responsibilities, life, we got to have healthy choices, we got to make good food, we got to take care of our kids, we got to go to work, how in the midst of that can we live life to the full? How when that phone rings in the middle of the night and you find out that a loved one has passed away? 
Or maybe you're in, your marriage is in the midst of just really tumultuous circumstances. Maybe it's at that critical moment. How do you find strength in the middle of those trials? If we look to the, ne- the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah 8.10 tells us the joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy in this passage means rejoicing, gladness. There is 254 verses in the Bible on joy. So if God tells us something 254 times, you think it's pretty important? I think it's pretty important. And it's not only important for us, but it's available for believers. Nehemiah tells us joy is our strength because it gives us the capacity to overcome our trials. See, if you're older than a second, which mm, we all fit in that category, right? You know life is full of trials, right? From birth, how many mamas here have had a baby and it was no picnic? It was very difficult. You'd call it a trial, right? I've had seven babies. I can tell you there was none that wasn't a trial. How many think that poor little baby when it's in the womb, right? It's in that old snuggly spot, all its nourishment it gets, it's rocked to sleep anytime, and all of a sudden this earthquake comes, these violent tremors, it's got to be squished out, bright lights, loud noises, right? That's a trial. No wonder that baby's crying. James 1.3 reminds us that our trials develop perseverance. Now, I would caution you, I would not go to your friend and say, hey, friend, while you're in the middle of this trial, Andrew, you're going to get perseverance. That might not be the thing that you want to say. See, how do we get strong? How do we develop strength and embrace joy? There's been different seasons in my life when I've been pulled in this direction, pulled in that direction, and they've been all good things. But I've let my plate be so piled high, education, healthy choices, food prep, exercise, taking my kids somewhere. There's so many things that I have no wiggle room. I have no space for the things of God. See, I read a quote that said, whatever keeps you from the Bible is the enemy. And I'd like to say that whatever keeps you from God is the enemy. Right? Can we, like David, can we find ways to spend time with the Good Shepherd? We'll see in the Psalms that David found ways. He always invited God into his circumstances. No matter what, David was expecting God to be in the middle of his circumstances. Remember David. David was known as a man after God's own heart. It was the same David that defeated Goliath. It was the same David who played music to soothe Saul's tormented mind. It was the same David that was hunted by King Saul. It was the same David that experienced the death of his best friend Jonathan. It was the same David that fled because his son Absalom was trying to kill him, was trying to take him out of the kingdom. And it was the same David who fell into adultery and became a murderer. You see, he went from shepherd boy to king. He went from warrior to adulterer, from musician to the hunted. But David's legacy, he firmly stands on as he's a man after God's own heart. Right? David, he felt, I know in all those things he was going through, Goliath and being a king and and having all these decisions he had to make, he felt intense emotions, right? There was unfair treatment that he experienced. He was in the middle of difficult situations, but what did he do? He went to the Father. 
He prayed, he worshiped, he invited the Father in the middle of a situation. Many times as Christians, we attribute God with saving us from our sins, but not from our situations. So where can we find the roadmap to invite God into our situations? I want to look to Psalms. Psalms is a wonderful poetic book. Psalms will give us some answers, but we got to understand a little bit of background of Psalms before we understand what David's saying. So Psalms was written about 3,500 years ago, the first Psalm. The last Psalm, the latest Psalm was written about 2,500 years ago. So you math majors, that's about a thousand years from Psalm 1 to Psalm 150. So on average, 3,500, 2,500, smush them together, we get 3,000. So we're going to go into the future for 3,000 years. Uh, 3,000 years. So we're in the year 5023. Imagine the people, the future people, trying to understand writings from today without understanding our culture. Right? I mean, we live in the culture. Can you guys understand it every day? It's, right? Difficult. So imagine 3,000 years from now trying to make sense of what's happening in our culture. Pastor Greg likes to say, text without context leads to pretext. That's right. So when we look to Psalms, we'll encounter cultural differences. We're Westerners, right? Psalms was written to Near Eastern people, the Israelites. Psalms was written before Jesus was born, so they didn't have the birth of Jesus, right, the, the crucifixion, the resurrection. They didn't have, uh, they had temple worship when David was writing these. They had animal sacrifices. Jesus wasn't absent from the Psalms, There's, but there was a theological distance, meaning Jesus was there in spirit, but David didn't have Jesus' history to look at, okay? He had the Old Testament promises in the scriptures, Psalms often, times when we read the Psalms, you'll hear David, you'll hear his cries of anguish. He's crying aloud. He's having what I like to call a rant. Okay, but the rant, we'll see in Psalm 22, David's ranting, but the rant gives him space. It gives him emotional space, gives him um, spiritual space to come back and know that God's watching over him, that God is in his situation. You see, David chooses to make his rant to God not to man. He doesn't go as tell his sister or tell his brother. He tells God his complaints. So before we get to Psalm 23, we're going to start with Psalm 22, and it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I bet you know you've heard those words before. Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime. You don't hear. And in the night season, I am not silent. You see, David is expressing raw emotions. He is expressing heartfelt, strong feelings. But God's really not far away from David. He's right there in the middle of it. David made God the center of his life regardless. He's describing his agony, and I know there's a lot of you guys. I know your stories. I know you're facing your hardships. You felt his agony, and you can feel agony today. You felt pain. You felt suffering. Let's do what David did. Let's spend our time on our knees. Let's worship. Let's pray. Let's spend time with the Father. Matthew 27, 46, if we look at it, we see Jesus, the Messiah, deliberately chose the same words when he was on the cross. As he cried out, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
We don't have time to unpack the correlation between Jesus' crucifixion and Psalm 22. That's a sermon for another day. But we see David, we see Jesus, both of them are crying out to God in the midst of their crisis. They are both victims of the cruelty and of unfair treatment by men, but they're complaining to God. You see, when David looked at his experience, he saw a period, but God saw a comma. God saw a pause. You see, God is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. God is in the midst of our circumstances. Hebrews 13.5 says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That word is never. All right? Tell God your stuff. He can handle it. He's big. He loves you like an adoring father. We heard Pastor Greg tell us there's a lot of us that don't know what an adoring father is. We don't have that concept right? But he's a father that wants to be in the middle of your situation. He is a father that adores you and gave up his one and only son to be with you. Jesus is the bridge between men and God. You see, Jesus felt the loss of his father's companionship. Jesus felt aloneness. But God was not only over Jesus, but God was in Jesus at the cross. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. God was in Christ, reconciling the word to himself at the cross, not counting people's sins. See, God is still working. So even though David, I'm sure he felt forsaken, he's fighting Goliath, right? He's done some wrong things. He's had an affair. He's done this stuff. He's faced seemingly impossible situations David still knew God was in the middle of his, in his circumstance. In verse 19, I'm going to hop to 22:19. It says, but you, O Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me, deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. So in the midst of his crisis, David isn't saying, hey, take it away from me. He's saying, God, all I need is your presence. I just need your presence in the middle of this stuff. When we invite God in, that's all he wanted. God didn't, David didn't ask for God to change it. He said, come on in it. Come on in my junk. Let's pop to verse 24, 25. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise. So David went from, my God, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? To, ah, oh, he heard my, he heard me, he got it. And now I'm praising him in the assembly, right? So David, in that same Psalm, I'm sure, I am sure beyond a shadow of a doubt, it seemed long. The answer seemed super long, right? But it did come, his joy did come in the morning. Sometimes God afflicts us. He allows affliction to come to us if we're believers. Sometimes it turns us to repentance, 180 degrees. But sometimes if you're an unbeliever, it comes as punishment. Sometimes it just happens because of other people's actions. When David got his answer, I know right? I know he probably thought, whoo, that was a long time. But it came to her, him, God heard David's cry, and his joy did come in the morning. See, joy is a byproduct of a relationship with Jesus, right? In Sunday school, back in the Bridge Kids, we use an acronym, J-O-Y. Jesus first, others next, and then yourself, right? When we take our eyes off our circumstances and we put them on Jesus, it gives us a new perspective. 
Joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Joy is the byproduct of spending time with the Father. You see, we're to seek joy. We're not to seek joy for the sake of joy. We're to seek a relationship with the Father, and He gives us joy. He gives us fruit of the Spirit. When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we, like David, can cry out loud, He is in the midst of our circumstances. We just need to take our eyes off of our circumstances. I recently read a study that said 95% of our thoughts are on ourselves. We are really selfish people. And only 5% left for God. What if we tithe on our thoughts? What if we gave God 10% and we gave others, we'll say 10%, maybe 9, right? 19, that, just think of the influence we could have in our churches, in our communities, in our professions, in our schools. Joy, that J-O-Y, is really a good reminder of the order of our thoughts. If I read from Hebrews 12, 2 and 3, it says, Fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, the scorning, its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So we're to... Fix our eyes on Jesus. Consider him, referring to Jesus, who endured opposition so that we don't grow weary, so that we don't lose heart. There's nothing we're experiencing that Jesus hasn't already walked through. The joy that Jesus is speaking about is the hope of a restored relationship. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he was the bridge. He had one hand extended to mankind and one hand extended to the Father. See that rod? That rod represents his protection. The staff, he promises he's going to comfort you. Trials, when we face these trials, we're not to face them and withdraw. We're not to isolate ourselves. A lot of times we want to do that, but if you think about the lion when he's stalking the wildebeest, have you ever seen those documentaries? Right? He doesn't jump in the pack. He waits for the wildebeest, the one, the weak one, to get to the side, and then he attacks. And it's the same with the enemy. He waits until we isolate. He waits until we pull inward and we're alone, and then he pounces. The Bible tells us that the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, 1 Peter 5.8. So let's build community. When we build community, say you belong to the young adult group. Say you sign up for vertical. Say you work in the kids' ministry or a connection group. You get plugged in because when the trials come, you got your people. You got your support. You see, stay in the pack. There's protection in the herd. Find your people. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. It's probably the most quoted psalm, right, in the Bible. There are conversations with God. They're intimate. They are heartfelt, sometimes brutally honest. In Psalm 22, we saw that. There are places where God meets his children and his children meet God. To understand Psalms, we have to understand the heart of the Father. Our Heavenly Father is relational. It's this way and it's that way. He wants a relation with us. He's, it's not some cosmic, he's not this cosmic being that's out in space that we can't touch. And he's not this cruel judge, right, that wants to judge us. Romans 8, 15, and 16 says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption into sonship. Our Father has adopted us when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba in that verse is another word for Daddy. 
And I know a lot of us are past the point of calling our dads daddy, but it's showing the intimacy that we can have with our Heavenly Father. He calls us sons and daughters. God is with us in every situation. He wants human interaction. Psalm 23 focuses on the Lord comforting his people. Remember that staff? It's a staff of comfort. It's the metaphor, calling God a good shepherd is a metaphor. He's a good shepherd. D David begins with words, me and my. They're personal, right? These are personal possessions, like a two-year-old saying, it's mine. David is saying, he is my shepherd. It's a relationship that's intimate. It's protective, and it's permanent. It's all about community, being together. The sheep needed a shepherd to lead them. They need a shepherd for guidance. They need a shepherd because they're vulnerable, right? The little sheep's going to stray, and somebody's going to eat it. Sheep are valuable. In this world, you're going to find you're being tossed around from here, there, and everywhere. Like David, find your relationship with the Father. A sheep, a shepherd tends the sheep, right? The shepherd tends the flock. He carries them when necessary. He stands with them. He stands up for them when the enemy prowls around. The shepherd keeps the sheep close to him. The shepherd goes on to say, um, the shepherd is always faithful. And the psalm goes on to say, I will lack nothing I shall not want. So let's go back to the sheep's daily needs. The sheep wakes up, it needs food. The sheep probably has two thoughts. Where's my food? And where am I going to get my food? But the sheep looks to the shepherd because he's built a relationship with the shepherd. See, sheep spend time with the shepherd, and the shepherd spends time with the sheep. So when the sheep need their needs filled, they go to the shepherd. Right? The shepherd's always taking care of them. Spend more time with your shepherd. Our emotional and our spiritual health are going to grow the more we spend time with the shepherd. Philippians 4.19 says, My God will meet all your needs according to the riches and of his glory in Christ Jesus. That all, that's all your needs. My God will meet all your needs. Remember I told you I piled so much on my plate? I was lacking time with my Savior. We can become so self-reliant and so focused on increase that we forget. We put our strength in our own, uh, in our own strengths and weaknesses. Oh, we put our, uh, sorry, we put our hope in our own strengths and weaknesses. Luke 12, 34 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He makes me lie down in green pastures and besides quiet waters. When my daughter Maddie and I, we went to Scotland here recently, and there was this little child with a mom, and it was on a leash, this little girl, and it had like this harness around. And every time the little girl went out, like me trying to get off this carpet, right, every time that mom would just gently pull that child back. And that's what I think of when I think of these green pastures and God leading me beside still waters. I think of rest, and I think of his gentle hand guiding me back. So what are green pastures? Their hobbies and there are habits. Green pastures are the things we do that revitalize us, that give us life. They're fun activities. They're hanging out with friends. What are the habits that we do? Those are our self-care, things the shepherd would want us to do, right? We eat healthy. We get lots of rest. I'm talking to this group over here. You get lots of rest, right? Your green pastures help to mitigate any stressful things. You know how you know when you're under stress? You get impatient. Maybe you cry a lot. Maybe you lose your temper, right? That means you need a little green pasture time. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along with right paths for his namesake. 
David is talking about God leading him like sheep. You see, David knows who or what you follow has the most influence on your life. So let me ask you this. Who influences you? Is it TikTok? Is it social media? Is it your friends? Is it your parents? Is it your family? Maybe good or bad influences, right? They could lead you astray and not even know they're leading you astray. But David, even in his darkest hour, we saw in Psalm 22, even in his darkest hour, he went to God and he let God influence him. If we trust our emotions, we are headed for potential disaster. If we trust our history, our habits, our personality, if we let it determine, we find out we're an eight on the Enneagram, right? We're strong, we're willful, and we let that become a crutch, right? That, that holds us back from what God has for us. We want God to determine who and what we are. We want Him to tell us what we are. We, we want to seek Him, spend time with Him, so we can be all that He created us to be. It's His grace, it's His Word and His Spirit that define us. He will lead us to freedom. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff will comfort me. Now, did you see the paradigm shift here? We went from referencing God in the third person, he makes me lie down, to the second person, you are with me. Also shifted, we were in these nice, lush green pastures, right? We all love green pastures. And now we're going down into the valley. How many of you love the valley? No, I don't love the valley either. But we got to go to the valley. So the path plunges down the valley of the shadow of death. And in Hebrew, the shadow of death is one word. It means deep darkness or dreariness. The valley of death we often associate with end of life. All right? But if you've lived past the second, and we determined a few minutes ago that all of us are over a second, you know life has a lot of valleys. Right? There's a lot of valleys that we have to go through. And a lot of times we believe valleys are because... Maybe something's wrong with us. Maybe we're not walking with the Lord right. Right? We believe God's goodness means he'll heal us. We believe God's goodness means he'll deliver us. And we think God's goodness means we won't suffer any financial problems. And our kids, they're going to be just right. But see, God's love leads us down into the valleys, paths we don't want to go. Because he promises to protect us. He promises right, to comfort us. He promises to grow us in the valley. When we come to the end of the valley and we start climbing, we're going to find ourselves on mountaintops that are so high we could have never imagined. David's conclusion is God was with him in the middle of his circumstances, in the middle of the situation. He didn't ask God to remove it. He asked God to be in it with him. Let's ask him to be in the middle of yours. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My, uh, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Overflowing. I love that. See, here, when we're at God's table, he prepares a table with us. He fills us with the fruit of the Spirit, so we're overflowing with joy, with goodness, with faithfulness, with all the fruits of the Spirit. In Hebrew, the word overflow in Psalm 23, 5 means saturated, a wealth of satisfaction. I love that, right? We're saturated with the good things of God. God wants you to be so rich in the good things that you can't even contain it. It's bigger than anything that you can imagine. So let me get back to it. Are you allowing social media and people to influence who you are? Or are you allowing God's word to determine the path? Are you overflowing with God's goodness? 
Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here the word love is interchanged with mercy in the scriptures and loving kindness. So I'm going to use the word mercy. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all your days. When we're in a relationship with God, we have goodness on one side, we got mercy on the other. And they're going to follow us all our days. Now you guys are thinking, ah, mercy and goodness aren't following me. You know what I did? You know what's back there? In the Hebrew, the word surely is an adverbial particle. It sounds like something we might vacuum up, right? <laughs> right? But it's really cool because it means a strong assertion of truth. Unbending, completely unbending is what surely means. Surely, completely unbending. So when David looks back at his life or towards the future, he settled on one thing. You see, goodness is going to be on one side and mercy is going to be on the other. David was certain it was completely true. There was no doubt. He was certain the two follows, the two angels that would be following him are goodness and mercy, just like guardian angels. If we go back to 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 12, 23, yes, the story about Bathsheba, right? We saw David. We know David. He's guilty of a lot, right? Affairs, right? Death. Murder, his baby dies, right? There's guilt and shame could be back there all the days of his life. But he stood confidently. He knew that he was flanked by goodness on one side and mercy on the other. So how can he say that with that track record? How can he stand in confidence? It's because he confessed his sin. He didn't defend it. When he went before the Father, he confessed what he did. He accepted his wrongdoing. He repented, turned 180 degrees from what he did, and he asked God for cleansing, for complete restoration. You see, God blotted out his sin. He took it away. He created in David a clean heart. Psalm 51.10, I'm going to paraphrase. It says, his shepherd restored to him the joy of his salvation. The Lord renewed a right spirit in him, and he delivered him from guilt and shame. Where there was guilt, there's now only goodness, and when there's mistakes, there's only mercy. Let me ask you, when you look back in your life, what trails behind you? Is it worn paths of goodness on one side and mercy on the other? Or do you have guilt and shame? Let me wrap it up by just explaining something here. There's a word that you guys know I do some counseling. There's a word we call repression. And repression is when you squish down your emotions and you're not willing to deal with them, right? And imagine you have this big beach ball and you're out in the waves, you're playing in the ocean and you're trying to hold that beach ball under the water. And what happens eventually when that current rolls you this way and rolls you that way, right? That beach ball comes to the top. And those are our emotions when we try to pop them down. Whether that beach ball represents our, our, our emotions, you say, our external realities, you see, they're created by our internal realities. What's the story you're telling yourself? Have you given God your emotions? Have you given him your rant? Have you given him a second to minister his healing to you? Have you given him a second to pour in the fruits of the Spirit? What are your, what are your internal realities telling you? What's your storyline? What's, what are you telling yourself over and over? When I look back, do I see guilt and shame? Or like David, can I stand confidently knowing goodness is here and knowing mercy is here, and as I walk out there, they're walking out with me? Let me ask you, 
Are there things that you need to take to the Lord today that you can walk confidently with goodness and mercy? Maybe you haven't invited Jesus into your heart. Maybe you haven't even invited him to be Lord and Savior, so you don't know goodness and mercy. You're just trailing with shame and guilt. Maybe you know goodness and mercy. Maybe that you've just some things you gotta wrestle with and you gotta take to him. First, I'd like to offer a moment for those that don't know Jesus, a moment that you can uh, accept him as Lord and Savior. And if there's anybody out there, um, we're gonna dim the lights a little bit if we could. If there's anybody out there that has not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're ready just to get rid of that shame, get rid of that guilt, I just ask that you raise your hand. We'll pray as a group. I'm not looking to embarrass anybody, right? If, you, if I don't see your hand, okay, good. And then let me ask you, as we close the service, I would just ask if you could stand for me. Thank you. And we're going to invite our prayer team up. And if there's things you need to take care of right now, things that you want to take care of by yourself, you just want to come before the altar and get rid of some stuff, or there's things you want to pray about with our prayer team, this is a time now that you can come to the front as our prayer team comes up and you can have a time in prayer. And then Pastor Greg is going to close us with the blessing.